Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Lion. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and all of my picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. College basketball edition of Full Slate as we continue to pump them out on the college hardwood. Going to try and roll with two a week all the way to the big dance, and then who knows what our schedule will look like from there. College basketball means our college basketball partner in crime, Bill Christie. Lucha Larry is how you know him on gambling Twitter. At Larry's Locks 2 joins us. Bill, we've been doing pretty well, at least uh, as a podcast. Uh, you know, even though I know I've kind of been hot here the last couple of pods it's it's a win as a team loses a team last couple of pods have been pretty good and let's keep it going yeah so far so good yeah you've been carrying me the last couple <laughs> um i you know I, I think i got you in this last crossfire but that was only making up for the past couple of weeks i think you were getting the better of me there so nice to get that w but again overall just nice to give out well we ended up splitting know. yesterday oh true because I ended up getting that Minnesota cover. That is right. That shouldn't yeah. have been a cover. Rick Pitino <laughs> not fouling at the end there. I don't know what that was about. But Rutgers, let's be real, Rutgers really didn't belong uh, in the wing column against the spread for that game. They just not did not play up to yeah. par of what we all expected. So kudos to you for that one. And, yeah, we've been doing good, giving out some pretty good winners here. So hopefully tomorrow with this nice Saturday slate, 
we'll give out a bunch of them. We got a ton of games we're going to try and rattle off uh, through here for the people. Yeah, so let's not waste any more time and jump right in as it is a busy Saturday as usual on the College Hardwood. Uh, and you're going to take us first to the ACC for a play in a, an early game. Hope you guys are listening in the morning because these games are some of these games, particularly the first two that we're talking about here on the pod, are going off at 12 noon Eastern time. And you're going to start us, as I said, in the ACC where we have the Virginia Tech Hokies traveling south to Coral Gables to take on the University of Miami. We're seeing Virginia Tech laying three and a half on the road, a total in this game of 131 and a half. You're going to look to the home dog, and Bill, I have to, I have to imagine, as we record here on a Friday evening into a Saturday morning, uh, you have to like the fact that this is down to three and a half because I believe we saw this open at four and a half, five. And yeah. given where this market is going with you know money coming on Miami, I have to think that that's probably uh, some smarter money. Uh, given Virginia Tech obviously is off that big win against Virginia last weekend, and obviously is the ranked team here. Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm very excited to see that that line has already dropped uh, down. You that booked far. five. Uh, yeah, I booked five. I unfortunately didn't give it out yet. I'm still seeing four on one of my shops now. Yeah, four. Um, but honestly, I, I don't. I don't think the points are going to matter. I think Miami wins this game outright. Um, Miami being five and one as home dogs this year, very solid in that spot. Virginia Tech four and four, five hundred as as away favorites. But uh, Hokies are one and eight against the spread in their last nine row games versus teams with winning home records, which that is Miami. So that spells trouble for Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech only one time have been in this spot really uh, this year, and that was uh, their last game against Pittsburgh, uh, being favored by four on the road. They lost outright by eleven. Um, and then when I look back at Miami in similar spots to that this year. Uh, I mentioned they were 5-1 and one, uh, as home dogs in that stretch. They most recently took care of business uh, against Louisville, won that game outright. Uh, previous to that, they were able to uh, sneak out of cover against North Carolina, getting 3.5. They only lost by 2. Uh, similar fashion to Clemson, they lost by 1, getting that 4.5. Uh, the only loss they had where they weren't able to cover was was against Pittsburgh back in early December, or mid-December, I should say. They lost by 15, getting four and a half. But previous to that, uh, they actually beat Purdue uh, by four at home when they were catching three. So I do like this spot uh, as the money line uh, with the dog here. I'm going to take the points still, uh, but I'm definitely going to be sprinkling the money line here because I really think Miami's going to be able to get the job done here. Virginia Tech also has a look-ahead spot here. They've got Florida State uh, up next, uh, and Miami really needs this win. Not to say that, you know, we've, we were going to be talking about bubble teams and stuff like that. I don't think they're really a bubble team. Like being 7-10, and 10, it's going to be hard sure. for them to make the tournament. Um, but this is, a, this is a team that you can see, you know, they're just going to give up and, you know, kind of call it a season. But, you know, as of the last game, I mean, they went out there and they beat that team from Durham. Uh, at home, okay. so you know I, I, it shows that they have a little bit of spunk left in their in their game. They're not just going to tank the rest of the year. Uh, and Virginia Tech's one of the only like top level ACC teams they're playing besides Florida State and Virginia later on. Um, so yeah, I really like this spot here for the Hurricanes. Getting the four points is going to be, I think, an easy cover. I really do think they're going to win outright. So I will be sprinkling a bit on the money line here as well. 
Well, I definitely could see them winning this game, but I could also see Virginia Tech winning here by double digits. So I'm going to stay away. I really have no feel for this side. You mentioned the victory for Miami over Duke. I think the situational angle here makes me argue either side, which is why I pass. You talk about Virginia Tech playing Florida State up next in Blacksburg on uh, Tuesday. But having said that, uh, I I think you're getting a focus Virginia Tech team. And I'm actually kicking myself now. Uh, You know, obviously it's a college basketball rotation. Things slip through the cracks. I look more thoroughly at every game when we do this pod and you know full disclosure I'm kind of picking off some spots I like during the week when we're not doing a pod as opposed to kind of running through the whole rotation a little more in depth and I'm kicking myself for not having Pittsburgh against Virginia Tech with Virginia Tech coming off that big UVA win and obviously then Virginia Tech has to go on the road as a short favorite with a very similar line here laying three and a half in Pittsburgh and uh, the Panthers getting that win Not surprised at all to see that's what happened to Virginia Tech in its last game after the UVA upset victory. But for that reason, I do kind of think that you could see them kind of refocus, recalibrate, hit the reset button. And I don't really think this is much of a look-ahead spot for them. And also, the reason I could kind of talk myself into Virginia Tech, again, not going to be playing it. But you could when you have a bad team like Miami that's sub-500, not going to the tournament, you know, they get that big win against Duke, and now, you know, do they almost kind of tap out because, oh, well, we got our win against Duke as an 11-point underdog. It just doesn't feel like as good of a spot, in my opinion. Again, I don't love the Virginia Tech side here either because I do think that line's a little fishy, especially having seen it been bet down. Uh, so I really have no lean at all whatsoever on this game. Uh, and I, I do think... Also, as much as I hint at maybe Miami almost kind of tapping out after getting that Duke win, not going to the tournament, whatever, it is a Jim Laranaga coach team. He's obviously a very respected coach whose teams I expect on a nightly basis to still play hard. So I, I could kind of see, like, and again, the line going where it's going. Um, angles for me on both sides in the number here, so I'm going to stay away. Um, I don't know if you want to kind of close the book at all and rebut anything I said, but... Uh, uh, I'm just going to say you're wrong, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, I gave my, my handicap for it. Sure. Again, there's just been so many spots similar for in, to this uh, for right. this Miami team. And, and you mentioned a big game again, a big win against that team from Durham, but let's be real, is that really a big win? I knew the line was big, but again, I still feel like these lines, when it comes to that team, you know, we talked about Kentucky... Yeah, it's still it's still they're they're gonna play it up because they know that the public still knows those teams and they're gonna be able to play them at that number no matter what. So right. Yeah. That's a fair point. Let's keep things moving though and um go to the big east where we have you mentioned bubble teams. We got two bubble teams squaring off uh in the big east on Saturday afternoon up in stores, and it's the Connecticut Huskies welcoming in the Seton Hall Pirates. We're seeing Connecticut a short favorite in this game. And speaking of line movement, uh, I did see this number open at two, down to one, which makes me feel good because I'm going to be on the Seton Hall side here. I I took plus one. Um, So here's the thing. It's two pretty evenly matched teams hovering on the NCAA bubble, as I said. Uh, And so I think the line is about right. Uh, but UConn has not played in almost two weeks. They played uh, last time they played was January 23rd. Um, and 
uh, or it might have been the 26th, but it was, it was that last week of January. I'm going to confirm the date right now. Um, you know, so they haven't played all this week, and um, it was the 26th, yes. So they, they beat Butler, uh, lost on the 23rd against Creighton. So obviously close to a two-week layoff here for the Huskies. Um, and the bigger reason why I like this is Seton Hall, I think, really got right with a 17-point road win against Providence earlier this week. Um, and, you know, obviously Providence is not anything to write home about um, being a 500 Big East team. But uh, winning the way that Seton Hall did, I think, is really what is making me like this because the final score was 60-43. to 43, And that defensive performance is what really signaled a bet on, in my opinion, with the Pirates because, obviously, at all levels of basketball, you know, the defensive side is a lot about effort and intensity. And, yeah, if you have some good God-gifted athletic ability, you can be a good defender too. But I think that that side of the ball, you know, is really about buy-in and belief and, and a lot of intangible factors. And so seeing Seton Hall defend some of the best, you know, it has all year really signaled to me that this was a bet-on type team right now that was playing with the appropriate sense of urgency. And, you know, they had given Villanova a couple of good games there, so it wasn't like wasn't like they were getting and blown Creighton. out. And Creighton, right. So, you know, they had been losing games, but they were competitive in those losses against some of the better teams in the league. And it certainly looks like, a, as I said, I think that confidence shows itself when then they go to Providence and they step down in competition and beat them by 17. And then when I looked at the Ken Palm numbers, um, again, going back to the strong defensive performance against Providence, what really stood out as far as why I like this is because both these teams are pretty close in the overall Ken Palm rankings, UConn 29, Seton Hall 36. And the drastic difference was the defensive efficiency rankings with Seton Hall coming in at 83 and UConn at 28. Offensively, uh, Seton Hall, pretty good, uh, better, less of a uh, disparity, but still Seton Hall 18th in offensive efficiency to Connecticut's 47th. So the question I ask myself is, do you want to bet more on Connecticut being a better offensive team than we would normally expect, or Seton Hall being a better defensive team than you would normally expect? And whichever of the answers you know, to that question probably wins the game. I think Seton Hall is locked down again defensively uh, and at least does enough to win this game. So I'll take them plus the short number. Yeah, listening to you, and then I really didn't look at this game too too in depth, but I was trying to as you were talking there, and uh, you talked me into it. I'm going to be playing these guys uh, with you. Um, and a lot of the reasons you had mentioned, you know, we just said they played Villanova and they had uh, Creighton sandwiched in between. They played, they lost all three games. They played, they played tough in all three of those spots. Which you, like you said, you want to see that from that team. You're you feel more comfortable back in the team that's doing that at this stage of the game, especially when they're on the bubble. And right, and then especially kind of in, the Providence win made me feel like, okay, yeah. they did lose the games, but it's not like the air was completely sucked out of the balloon and they just checked out. Right, exactly. And then you look at UConn, and you mentioned they what they haven't played since the 26th. Um, mm-hmm. They had lost to Creighton. They had lost to St. John's. They beat a Butler team who's been blah all year. Right. Um, you know, so I, I do like that. I saw Boat Night was – questionable so either he's not going or if he goes they're saying he's not going to be much of a factor right you know with 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 the line showing us and then when you look at what uh Connecticut's done as the uh home favorite here they're only three and two 
as the home favorite here, and then away dogs uh, five and one. Seton Hall has played the dog role really, really well this year. Um, so you got to like that. I'm going to be playing those guys eight and one against the spread of the last nine games overall. That's that's UConn, so that's a little bit the other way. But but again, this the Seton Hall team they've been playing teams the good teams uh, against the spread. Seven and one, the last eight road games versus teams with home winning percentages. So, again, like they're not they're not a team that goes on the road here. And granted, there's no fans really, but they're not a team that goes on the road there and is intimidated at all. They actually seem to be playing arguably better on the road than they have been uh, at home. Yeah, sure. against the spread, they're seven and two on the road as four and four at home. So, I mean, we look at so it that way. Comfortable playing on the road. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, I'll be playing these guys. I like the fact that it went down a little bit. Um, so, yeah, you talked me into this one, so we're going to have a go. third consensus play. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Two more coming, and that's a perfect segue because our first consensus play is on a former Big East team as we're going to Morgantown for a 2 o'clock Eastern tip. The West Virginia Mountaineers hosting the Kansas Jayhawks in Big 12 play, laying two and a half, it looks like, a soft two and a half, as it does appear as if money has come in on the Mountaineers. A total of 142 in this game. Uh, I got West Virginia minus two. Um, I'll let you start, Bill. I imagine you'll cover a lot of the same reasons that I am going to be on West Virginia, but tell me why you like the Mountaineers. To be honest, I'm not so much playing this as a a West Virginia play. It's more so I'm playing it as a Kansas Kansas fade here. Yeah, I mean, we just mentioned how well Seton Hall played uh, on the road in that dog spot. Jayhawks, kind of the exact opposite. 1-5 against the spread the last six versus teams with – uh, winning percentage above 600. So that just tells you right there, you know, that they 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 aren't competing to the level of these higher level opponents. And this again, Kansas kind of has fallen into this line of where we mentioned. Of, we were uh, of we Kentucky. had it as a consensus last week against Tennessee. Yeah, exactly. But they're they're falling into that category of like, is that number just the number because of what their name is in a lot of these games, sure. and that's why. You know, they're really not able to cover these these numbers because they're a little bit inflated due to their name. Um, I like West Virginia being at home. They're, they're not been, they haven't been great by any means uh, at home. Uh, but as home, yeah, as home favorites, they're only 2-4. and four. Um, And when you look at the other side of it, actually, surprisingly, Kansas is 2-1 and one against the spread as as road dogs. But, again, I, I think Remember, West Virginia... That could easily be 1-2 and two if it weren't for the biggest beat of the season in, this, at Baylor. Yes, this is very true. So, again, it's more of a fade on Kansas. They really haven't impressed me uh, to, to to date at all, really. I mean, I, I actually feel bad for Marcus Garrett. I feel like he's in a role, like a, a position to fail, like set up to fail, because sure. he, he's just not that type of player. We talked about that preseason. Like, is he really going to be that guy that's going to make this huge jump? And he's he really just isn't that guy. And, you know, West Virginia being top 15 in offensive efficiency – Kansas defense is, is okay, 22nd in the country. But, yeah, I think West Virginia is going to be able to put the ball in the net a little bit more here than Kansas is going to do, and that's probably going to be the difference in the game. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, also, yeah, one, sorry, 141 is the total. So, like, you're putting the total out there as a decent number. So, yeah, give me the more uh, offensive efficient team sure. uh, in that in that matchup. Sorry. So, go ahead. No, no, I, I totally get that. That actually wasn't even what I was going to say. Revenge spot for West Virginia. Let's go back. Remember, these teams yeah. played – it was six weeks ago now, just before Christmas. 
and Kansas beat him up pretty good at Fog Allen. I have to think, you know, um, Huggy Bear and, and his boys are going to remember that and really look to put a hurting on the Jayhawks here. And since that game, I mean, you know, I don't have a whole lot else to add because I think this kind of says it all. Since that game, Kansas is four and five straight up. Whereas West Virginia is five and three. Now five and three doesn't sound great, but again, I think it speaks to the point about Kansas just being a run of the mill team at this point. I'm not saying West Virginia is, you know, a second weekend team even, but I think they're definitely better than Kansas at this point in time. And those straight up records since the last time they played indicate that. And you're giving me a short line like this. Again, I do think that, you know, it's just a little bit of a Kansas tax almost where, you know, they're just kind of shading the line more, you know, shorter than it needs to because you're going to see, you know, people just look at Kansas and think, you know, and I don't even know if there's going to be public money on Kansas in this spot. I'm just saying, like, like you kind of made the point of, Bill, like sometimes, you know, like and I'm, we're not touching this game in the rotation, but the same thing happened with Kentucky. They're only a four-point home yeah. dog against yeah. C and you know I gave out LA to Kentucky a couple weeks ago on this podcast against LSU and cashed but again I don't think it's necessarily always oh what's up with that line as much as it is well you know you, you're going to get money on these schools regardless and that's what I think is going on here with Kansas uh, obviously we both had Tennessee in this price range last week against Kansas both had Oklahoma uh, you know in the very similar price range it, it just seems like Time and time again, if they're playing a team that is similar to them in talent and skill this year, Kansas does not respond well in these games, particularly on the road. I'll be on the Mountaineers as well. Let's yeah, and real, Go ahead. Sorry, real quick, one, one more thing before we, we run off of this. This this game for West Virginia is is them heading into a nasty stretch uh, right. in conference play because they got to go on the road to Texas. We talked Tech. about this with my Iowa State pick earlier in the week. Yeah, exactly. So then they have then they're home against Oklahoma, home against Baylor, on the road to Baylor, on the road to Texas. So like, granted, you're not coaching a team and saying, okay, hey, there's there's potentially a four loss run coming in here. But at the same time, you're looking at it as well. Kansas is the weakest team in this stretch, and we haven't been home. So hey, let's get the job done here. And look at like you said, the Iowa State pick you had that was a look ahead spot. It was definitely a look ahead spot. They only beat Iowa State by four. The fact that they survived and they looked ahead, makes me feel confident that they're going to be ready to go for this Kansas program coming in. Exactly. So I think the Mountaineers certainly extract a bit of revenge. Let's go from one blue blood on the road to two more that are also struggling this year. It's kind of been the theme of college basketball. We talked about Kansas, mentioned Kentucky a little bit there. Obviously, the Tobacco Road rivalry doesn't quite have the same juice this year as North Carolina makes the short trip from Chapel Hill to Durham, catching three and a half with a total of 145 and a half. Uh, Bill, I, I'm interested in your handicap here. You like the Tar Heels. Is that just a pure Duke fan? Oh, my. It a lot? Of, 100%. 110%. Hey, look, when we talk about this rivalry, and look, as, as, as harsh as I have been, on that team from Durham this year and that coach they have down there, if they <laughs> want to still call him a coach. Um, this is still arguably one of the top rivalries in sports, period. I'm talking no doubt. Not just college. 
not just basketball, not just college basketball, not just college sports, and not just basketball. I'm talking every sport and every aspect of it. This I can remember being a kid and being so hyped every time these two teams matched up. And it never mattered, it seemed like, right? Like, you could have North Carolina being a top three team in the country and Duke being down at the bottom of the 25 and switch roles. And, you and normally got a competitive, a competitive game. game. Right. right. You're always getting a competitive game. Um, and I think they'll probably show it at some point. Like, it, for so many years, it was like this, the the records were like one win off, and they were also like two points off and total points scored. It's right. it's absolutely insane. It's I'm taking the points. I'm taking Carolina. Um, look, there's not much out there that points in either direction besides of just my pure fades of, of that Durham team right now. Um, <laughs> but when you look at the two spots that, that are, are similar – for them, uh, Illinois went down as a three-point favorite in Cameron and smacked them. Uh, you also had Michigan State go in as a four-point favorite. They got the job done by six. Now, granted, both of those games were early December. We don't have much data because the lines haven't lined up that way. But if I'm getting points in this rivalry and both of these teams have looked like the way they've looked this year – I see it being a close competitive game, and if I'm flipping a coin, I want to flip the coin that has, you know, the extra points on the one side of it. And again, my handicap for North Carolina is always the same this year. They hit the offensive glass, and look, we're talking about this being a a top rival, right? Like, this is a huge game, no matter what what the rankings are and whatever, but Duke has not looked like they cared about this season. And what what yeah. makes me think that they're going to step up for this game now? Just because it's the rivalry. I just I just don't see it. I, I just I, again I see Coach K is going to this game as like oh we're just trying to get through this and oh well there's still bigger things going on in this world. Well listen, <laughs> you're not a politician. You, you know you're you're not in in charge of the uh, world world health organization. You are the coach of a Division One program. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that's your job. So if right. you can't get these kids motivated for this game, which I don't think he will, I think North Carolina's going to go down there and they're going to be the much more motivated team in this spot. And I think they're going to get the job done. I'm going to be taking the points, but it would not shock me in the least that they would get a win down there. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm probably going to stay off it. Um, you know. A little recency bias here. That Clemson lost by double digits, definitely a little concerning. But obviously, Duke just lost as an 11-point favorite against Miami, so maybe we don't look at that as much. And and prior to the Clemson game, I mean, Carolina was playing pretty well. Had won three straight against Wake, NC State, and Pittsburgh. And, you know, hung in there with Florida State. And obviously, Florida State is, you know, far superior to Duke. And, and, And I think if you're looking at comparables in the conference. You got to look more at NC State, Pittsburgh, and Wake as far as where Duke falls this year. That's just the nature of the conference right now. And even prior to the Florida State win, Carolina had been playing pretty well, winning against Cuse, winning at Miami, and winning against Notre Dame, albeit by tight margins. But again, you're getting them getting points here. Um, It would definitely be the side I would lean to. Um, I I do wonder about Duke for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. I mean, uh, you know, it looked like they were taking a step there against Clemson and they were competitive against Louisville um, and they got a win against Georgia Tech to lose that game against Miami. You know, even if they had won and not covered, uh, you know, I, I, I would maybe feel a little bit better about them here. But uh, 500 team, you know, you, you wonder where the kids' heads are at. You know, I, I don't even know. 
uh, because I haven't looked at many mock drafts. I don't know how many NBA prospects are even on the roster this year for Duke, but the ones that they do have, you know, do they start kind of wandering a little too? Uh, And I know this game has been close time and time again, but um, these are still 18 to 22-year-old kids that aren't playing good basketball. So I I have a hard time thinking that uh, just because it's Duke, North Carolina – we're going to get an instant classic. And if I had to think that one team was going to win going away, I just think the way that Carolina has played, again, Clemson game aside, mm-hmm. makes me more in line to think that they would win the game as well. So, right, and get, the effort numbers the points, are there, right? Like we yeah. said, the offensive rebounding percentage is ridiculous for North Carolina. That's effort. You know what right. I mean? Like, that has nothing right. else. That, that All that is is effort points. And in this type of game, if Duke isn't going to show that effort, let me put it this way. If North Carolina jumps on these guys early, if they can get out to a double-digit lead early in the first half, watch out. Because, I, yeah. I mean, I just see Duke as being that team that's going to just, oh, shit, this is it. And they're going to fold. Right. You know, and, Duke, and North Carolina's in a spot where, hey, we can really pound them. Like, if they can get them down early oh, and really yeah, put them man. away, look out. So I might be looking at a live bet, too, if I see that going on. Couple shorter handicaps coming here, I suppose. Uh, smaller profile games on the rotation, but as we always say, all tickets cast cast the same. I want to go to the SEC uh, for a game between the Vanderbilt Commodores and the Georgia Bulldogs. Looking like five six, the prevailing market here. Georgia laying at home in Athens against the Commodores, uh, and this is going to be a pure Georgia fade for the most. Excuse me, for the most part here. Gave out Georgia earlier in the week getting almost 10 points against Auburn. I said that line was way too out of whack. Um, and uh, one that I just thought was so wrong that I had to play Georgia. I know normally that's when we like to take the favorite, but um, fortunately I got the cash and Georgia did win the game outright. Um, but this is something that I've talked about. We mentioned it a little more with the Big Ten teams, and you know we talked about it actually on our last podcast with Penn State. Uh, you know, picking up the big win by double digits against Wisconsin, and then you you really question where their heads are at. A little fat and happy, do they match that intensity? And they were playing Wisconsin the next night, and we both cashed at least on a full game with Wisconsin. Um, and I think we kind of see that um, with these teams. I think we actually saw that with Maryland today against Penn State. I had Penn State laying the short number. Maryland had a big win by one point against um, Indiana. Or I'm sorry, who were they playing the other night? Uh, Purdue. Uh, and I had that game, you know, Purdue was a ranked opponent, Maryland beats them, and then they kind of step down in competition, and they don't play as well, and they end up losing. Granted, Maryland was a uh, underdog still in the game against Penn State, but I think the point remains the same. And that's kind of where I'm going here as far as a situational play with Vanderbilt. Georgia gets a win as a 9.5-point road underdog at Auburn, and, you know, now, you know, it's still not a very good Georgia team, right? I mean, they're nowhere, they're not really even that close to the NCAA tournament bubble, uh, they're just kind of floundering around in the SEC, and then they go, and as I said, they get that win against an Auburn team that had been playing better, and I wonder, these are why these teams are in the middle of their conferences and not in the NCAA tournament versus, you know, in, is because they don't bring the same consistent efforts on a nightly basis, and they do kind of have these head-scratching games where it's like, eh, you know, I, I don't quite get what's going on there, how they lose to Vanderbilt or whatever. And I'm not even necessarily calling for the outright win. I just think Georgia doesn't meet the expectations of this number here, and it's a one-possession game. I'm going to be playing Vanderbilt for what it's worth, to The season averages uh, 
are less than this number as far as points per game. Georgia averaging 78, Vanderbilt averaging 74. Not saying that's going to be the final score, but again, both of these teams can score, get the game up, and we're seeing obviously a total that's just a high-scoring game, uh, 154.5 here. I think we see a lot of points like we did against Auburn for Georgia. And again, if they're not going to be able to defend enough here, uh, both these teams pretty close together in offensive efficiency. Georgia 71, Vanderbilt 76. I just see a close game here with Georgia a little fat and happy off the Auburn win. Uh, so I'm going to be taking the points and playing Vanderbilt. Yeah, no play for me here, but I would lean your side there mainly because of uh, coming off that big win. It's just a, it's just a classic letdown spot, but right. no play for me. Fair enough, and we'll keep things moving here, and we will go to what? What's this, Bill? Indiana State, North, North, uh, Northern Iowa. Is that the Ohio Valley Conference? I Missouri have Valley. actually no idea. I have no idea to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we can talk a lot of college basketball here, but we're gonna have our slip ups every now and again. As I double check right now, I think I thought it was the Missouri Valley now, and it is as yeah. the uh, Northern Iowa. Um, no, I almost said their team name, which I don't even know. I think they're the Panthers. Um, but anyway, um, I do know Indiana State is the Sycamores because that's one that sticks with you, of course, yes. being La- Larry Bird's alma mater. Uh, nonetheless, Northern Iowa, a two-point home favorite here, total of 141. And you like the home chalk. Yeah, I do. That's home favorites, two and one on the year. Uh, the Sycamores on the other side, one and three is road dogs. And again, this is going to be a short handicap for me. This is just one that just stuck out to me when you're looking at the line and you're looking at the records. Uh, I mean, they're five and eleven. Why are they favored against a ten and seven sure. team? It just yeah. doesn't. It doesn't add up when you look at it um, right out of the gate. Uh, so, like when I when I was going through the lines again, I've said that before. The, one of the first things that I do um, is just look at them and see if there's anything that really sticks out. And again, like that's that's something that stuck out to me. It didn't make any sense. Uh, off the bat, and uh, yeah, when I look back into it a little bit deeper, I was like, okay, yeah, North, Northern Iowa plays pretty good at home in this role, and Indiana State on the other side is has not played that well in this role at all. So I'll be wrong with the points. I will take into consideration what happens with this line going forward. Um, you know, if we see a big change in it, I, I don't expect too too much. The only time I'd get worried here is if I did see this somehow cross over and see Indiana State becoming a favored late. Um, that would worry me, and I would probably hedge out of my bet there. I just don't I don't see that happening. I think there's a better chance of this going up to three than it would go in that way. Yeah, obviously, uh, I don't even – I had to double-check myself, and it was the Panthers in Northern Iowa. So I don't know the team names of both teams. I can't tell you I know a lot about either team. So, um, But, I, you know, obviously, when you bring that up and when I look at the straight-up records and when I see Northern Iowa favored, it's really the only way you can look here um, – and and I do think your your point is well taken about the line move in a full Saturday of college basketball action with NBA and NHL going on. You know, when you see these smaller schools get hit with some money, there's probably a little bit more that you can take from those moves. And I think it's you know some uh, more of a respected move um, from players that you know for whatever reason know something or just. Uh, you know, our, our respected players. So I think that that's probably something to monitor, but obviously my early lean as well would be to Northern Iowa. Um, and I, I suppose this is a good, this is a good uh, segue into our next game, which is in the Big 12 between Texas and Oklahoma State. Bill, do you remember 
an NCAA tournament game back four or five years ago now. Uh, I think it was five years ago now. Northern Iowa against Texas. Buzzer beater at yes. half court to win it. Northern yes. Iowa. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was very bullish on that Texas team. I had them, gosh, Elite Eight Final Four. So something, who, who something was, like that. Who was that? Uh... That was Isaiah Taylor in the backcourt. And I want to say Jonathan Holmes on the wing. Um, uh, Cameron Ridley, I believe, was still there in the front court. Um, so I was very high on them. Thought they were a dangerous number six seed and couldn't even get past that first game against Northern Iowa. But <laughs> that's you're going to like it here. I'm sorry? So that's usually how it happens. You get a little on one team, go to a tournament, and bang, first round, it's done. Exactly. You, you, you know, I had watched probably like seven of the last ten Texas games in Including the Big Twelve tournament that year, and just fell in love with them, and and then bang, they you know you're, you're, I was like I forget even who the three seed was because they were the six, and I was just like all right, just get me to this game, and I'm gonna be fired up, watch them play the three seed. I think it was Texas A and M because that's the next game was when Northern Iowa should have beat them. They were up like ten points or eleven points, like thirty seconds left, and they blew it uh, in one of the. Oh you my know, god! Wait a minute. What what year was this? This was the 2016 tournament. Okay. Never had, do you remember this game I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I just pulled up the box score now to see who was on that team. Connor Lambert was on that team. Um, who else is a bigger name? Was uh, it right about Havon the Felix, the, the guard, the little guard was on that sure. team. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, Northern Iowa, I mean, they had all these studs on their team. Jeremy Morgan and <laughs> West. Wash pun, whoever that guy is. Right. He's probably making a ton of money in Europe somewhere right now. Yeah. Oh, my God. So let's get to the 2021 Texas Longhorns as they travel to Stillwater to take on the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And normally we have a few consensus plays, and somewhere along the line, uh, Crossfire finds its way into the podcast as well. And that's where we have ourselves here in this game between a couple of Big 12 teams. Uh, Texas Lane 2, it looks like, total of 145.5. Um, and Bill, I'll let you start. You like the 2021 version of the Longhorns and Shaka Smarts team. Let's hear why. Uh, you are on the opposite side of this. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. That's why I like it. No. <laughs> uh, but I mean, in, in all honesty, just again, like I said, looking at the numbers out of the gate, I would normally lean Oklahoma State here because it's it just seems off, you know. You'd feel right. like a team like Texas in this spot um, would be would be favored by a little bit more. But Oklahoma State's only three and five at home, um, and one and two as the home dog. Texas two and zero oh against the spread on the road. Uh, Oklahoma State coming off back to back losses. Um, I'm sorry, not Oklahoma State. Texas coming off back to back losses here against. Oklahoma and Baylor, and, like, normally you'd be like, all right, is something going on with this team because, you know, they're taking these two losses. But let's be real, Oklahoma's been a surging Oklahoma team, and Baylor's Baylor, right? Like, nobody – yeah, no, honestly, nobody's playing better basketball right now than Baylor because we just watched Gonzaga really, really struggle in the first half against uh, – who was it? Pacific, Pacific they played? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're if you're saying that they're going to struggle against Pacific and you got a Baylor team who's – you know, just beat a very good Texas team. I'm going to say Baylor's be playing better basketball right now. Um, but to me, this is a bounce-back spot. Oklahoma State is a very good team. Um, so I'm not trying to say this is an easy bounce-back spot for Texas. That's why the line, I think, is where it is. Um, but I do think that Texas is this team that's going to be able to get back 
um, and get into the right frame of mind for this game. Um, and when I'm looking at some other pieces of this, uh, you see Texas, they're 4-0 against the spread, their last four road, road games, um, all against teams with winning home records. Uh, and I look on the other side of it, and Oklahoma State 1-7 and against the spread, their last eight home games against teams with winning road records. Um, so, you know, that, that spells a little bit of trouble for them. And when you look at the Kempom um, numbers here, everything kind of leans towards Texas in this matchup. And, again, as it should, uh, Texas has been playing the best basketball between these two teams all year long. It's just, again, it's just a rough spot they hit uh, against, again, a surging team in Oklahoma um, who's now in the top ten and obviously arguably the best yeah, team in the country. Yeah, I was surprised to see the Sooners climb up that yeah. high that Alabama went. But yeah, that's yeah. A good yeah, and then when I look back to it, it again – this Texas team, previous to these back-to-back losses, had only lost two other games. They lost to Villanova, and they lost to Texas Tech. They followed both of those games up. Granted, it was against a Texas State team and a Kansas State team. They're nowhere near the caliber of Oklahoma State. Um, but, you know, Texas was able to button up and get the job done, wax the floor with them, and move on to the next game. I'm not going to say they're going to wax the floor here uh, in this spot against Oklahoma State. But, you know, it's a, it's a state team, right? They just did it against the Kansas State and Texas State. Maybe that has something to do with it. No. <laughs> uh, I, I just like Texas in this spot for the fact that they're, just the, they're, they're the better team. Uh, they need to get back on the right side of, of the wing column here, and, and I think they're going to get it done against this, against this Oklahoma State team. Gosh, this sure feels a lot like the polar opposite of our last crossfire when we had what looks yeah. like a bit of a fishy line in the Indiana-Illinois game, and I was on the side of the, the road chalk thinking that it's just a, you're getting a better team at a discount, and you were on the home team saying this line's way too wacky. And it ended up being real close on the number, Illinois, with the cover by uh, a point or the hook even, depending on where you fell. Um, I actually got it at two which I was feeling good about, um, but obviously still um, only a four-point victory for Illinois in overtime the other night. And, you know, I was on that, you know, as I said, the road chalk at a discount line. Now you're on that side, and I'm on the side of a whacked-out line here. Um, Really the big reason that it jumped out to me, you mentioned the Texas struggles. You know, that, if anything, would make me think that the line's right. And had Oklahoma State won its last game, I would have been like, okay, you know, two and a half, three kind of feels right. You know, Oklahoma State coming off of a win, Texas having lost. But so now the reason that really freaked me out here and why I was like, I got to play Oklahoma State. They're a five-point road favorite at TCU who, Bill, you were certainly reaming out last weekend because (laughs) – TCU was a mess, um, and uh, or actually, well, no, they were got ahead on what were they playing Missouri in that Big Twelve SEC challenge was it? Uh, I don't TCU TCU right? Didn't you give out Missouri against them? Oh, I Could think so, we yeah. had that on our pod last week. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and because I just remember you being all mad at TCU, <laughs> and 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 no, you know, right. it obviously was not. I mean, TCU is like a double-digit underdog in that game. Um, and, you know, they're not a good team, period. Like, they're towards the bottom of the Big 12. Oklahoma's a five-point road favorite in that game. They lose. And this number still comes two and a half. 
So that really opened my eyes. Um, and honestly, like, let's just go all the way back. You mentioned some of the recent struggles for Texas. Since the Kansas road win, when they went into Fog Allen and blew the doors off the Jayhawks, which obviously we talked previously in our other Big 12 game about mm-hmm. how poor Kansas has been playing. So kind of starting to feel more and more like that was bad Kansas and not good Texas. Since that game, Texas is 3-3 three and three straight up, 1-5 and five against the spread. So I think what that says is, Bill, I want to ask you a question. Who do you think is the second-best team in the Big 12 right now behind Baylor? You still think it's Texas, or you say West Virginia or Oklahoma? I mean, wow. Can I answer that after this game? <laughs> taking, the I'll be down the road, taking the easy way out I get it no but, I mean seriously I think that I think this game's gonna tell that story I think if you if if it plays out the way I see it it is still Texas if they drop this game to Oklahoma State you got to say it, I think you have to say it's Oklahoma with how they've been playing or maybe we wait and see maybe West Virginia blows out Kansas nah, I can't ever put West Virginia that high fair enough but no I I, I the point I'm making is Ever since Texas won that game at Fog Allen, and you talked about the Blue Bloods and how, you know, when there's certain point spread taxes being applied to them that were of the mindset of, well, I think also just forget the gambling side of it from a perception side. When Texas wins that game the way they did, that opened a lot of eyes across the college basketball landscape. And right. when you go into Kansas like that, which has historically been – one of the best home courts in basketball right there with Cameron. Cameron. Uh, and they blow them out the way they did. I think that put a little bit of a monkey on uh, target on Kansas's back. And I don't think they've been dealing with that. Or, excuse me, a target on Texas's back. Yeah. And I don't think they've been dealing with that as well as Baylor, who for a couple of years now has been knocking on the door uh, as far as, you know, supplanting Kansas, and now they clearly have. So... I question if this is a get-right spot when you could certainly argue that there have been those spots for Texas and it just hasn't happened. So I think, and I also think of a chance here. We talked about Kate Cunningham being the potential Big Big 12 player of the year, Um, you know, at least giving the Baylor guards a run for their money. And, you know, Mac McClung, we brought him up as well. I think there's a chance that in this game he could just be the best player on the floor. And, you know, this could be the big win that Oklahoma State kind of highlights its season with. So I'm taking Oklahoma State plus the short number, really primarily for that line, though. I mean, again, had we seen a longer, uh, you know, a bigger line with Oklahoma State having lost the game to TCU, I would have said, okay, you know, this is a pass for me, but um, I'm going to be on the Cowboys and, uh, hey, go Pokes. Let's see what happens. Oh man, I'm gonna. I'm definitely taking that clip, and I am going to DM that to my man Greg Brown, Cade Cunningham, the best player on the floor oh, yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, you're a man. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know we were we were tight. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but if I mean, I, I agree with. You. I like Kate his first Cunningham, name though. <laughs> yes, he. But Cade is he's hands down the uh, the biggest NBA prospect. For sure, it's going to be on the floor tomorrow, but we shall see what comes of it. I'm going to go to the Big Ten uh, for a game that, uh, hey, this might be the best game of the day as far as just current 
college basketball teams. I know everybody's going to look at Duke and Carolina, but how about the Big Ten? I mean, it is the gift that keeps on giving, and you get a conference game in this league. More often than not, it's going to be one of the best games on the college basketball docket, and I want to look at the home chalk here with the Wisconsin Badgers traveling to Champaign, Illinois, to take on the Illinois Fighting Illini, and I'm going to lay the four and a half with Illinois. Total in in this game is 136. Um, we talked about the second best team in the Big 12. Well, the way I look at the Big 10, Bill, I think we have a clear tier one here with Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, and Illinois. And I just can't get there as far as Wisconsin being in that tier. And that's why, and I think this game is going to dictate that. And this is why I really think Illinois is the side. I don't even necessarily think that this number is out of whack or it should be more like seven or or six. And I'm taking Illinois just on a value side. Like, Illinois on Tuesday, obviously we had that game in our podcast. I was watching it because uh, it was a late game, too, so it was like one of my last plays. Illinois goes to uh, Bloomington, and I'll obviously admit it, as an Illinois backer, I got pretty lucky there with the game going to overtime because Indiana for the first, you know, yep. 30, 35 minutes looked like the better team. Okay, Overtime is where dogs Oh, where dogs to. die every time. Yeah. Yep. So – Illinois is kind of like sleepwalking through that game, and Indiana just can't put them to bed. And maybe that says more about Indiana, but one thing that I really thought, you know, and and this was just kind of a dead clock right twice a day almost for me, because part of the reason I really thought Illinois was going to have a big game was because, or was going to win the game, was because Io Desunmu in the backcourt had a big advantage on the guards for Indiana. And Desunmu goes 2-for-11 from the field, they make seven threes to Illinois, which is a tick below their season average per game. And that was the other thing I was thinking was that they were just a better outside shooting team and they actually made less than their season average did the Illini. And they still find a way to win that game. Okay, that's just to me, a, a, you know, and again, maybe it was just Indiana not getting the job done, choking, as you said, overtime is where dogs die. But I, I that was a bet on signal for me on Illinois when I saw – them kind of grind it out on the road. It's not always going to be pretty in the Big Ten. We know that. But when you can win ugly, I think that says something about your team and where you're at. And, you know, Especially if you can win ugly. in this league, right? Right, exactly. You know, road wins in this league, even against teams like Indiana. I mean, we talked about the home road splits for some of these teams, and Minnesota has been a mess on the road. But, you know, at home, Minnesota's beaten Michigan and Iowa. So, you know, if you can win – on the road, in the Big Ten, if, even if it's ugly, there's something to be said for that. And that's what I saw with Illinois. Now they're going back home. And, uh, you know, so th- that's kind of the pro-Illinois stuff. I just expect them to play better here. And uh, I think the numbers also kind of draw up the home road stuff too. Illinois 8-2 and two against the spread at home. So just been a great blind bet on their home floor. Wisconsin on the road, just 3-3 three and three straight up and against the spread. Um and really the current form, too. Uh, Illinois, last eight games, 6-2 and two straight up, 5-2-1 and one against the spread. Wisconsin, 5-3, and 4-4 four and four against the spread. Um, and the, the last eight for Wisconsin, which is the 2021 portion of Wisconsin's schedule, going back to the beginning of January. They played Indiana, at Michigan, at Rutgers, Northwestern, Ohio State, at Maryland, and two Penn State games. The losses were against Michigan, Ohio State, and they lost one of the Penn State games. So the point I'm making here is, obviously, when they had to play Michigan, when they had to play Ohio State, and this is why I don't think they're in that top tier, 
they lost, and, you know, it wasn't like they, yeah, you know, bounce here, possession arrow there type deal. Like, they got blown out by Michigan, okay, and did not play that well against Ohio State either. So, Buckeyes won that game by double figures, if I'm not mistaken. So, I think that this is going to be a same old song and dance for Wisconsin when you got to step up in class in the conference and you don't get it done. Um, And, again, I think Illinois can play a lot better than it played on Tuesday. Four and a half seems a little short. I think that Illinois could probably win this game by six to nine points, somewhere in that neighborhood, enough to cover. I like the fighting Illini. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Look, at the Indiana spot, they were lucky to get that cover. But I had played Indiana for the reason it being that sandwich game between Iowa and Wisconsin. And look, you say they struggle against Indiana. Yeah, but look what they did the game before. They beat a very good Iowa team. They covered the spread at home. And it's a very similar spot here with this Wisconsin team. And you said it, like, Wisconsin, you just, every time you think you can put them in that upper echelon, they, they, they give take you the Exactly. It's, a two, it's like that one step forward, two steps back. You know, they take that bad loss by double digits to Penn State. Like you said, they have to step up in class against Michigan and Ohio State. And in both games, they lose by double digits, and the Michigan game was not even close. Um, I think this is a spot where Illinois is going to look to make a statement because, again, we just said they struggled against Indiana. They get this Wisconsin team coming in at home. They want to smack them, take care of business. They have Michigan on the road next, which is, I mean, you normally would say a little bit of a look-ahead spot, but Wisconsin's not a team they're going to be looking ahead. Um, and the fact that Illinois is also 6-3-1 and one as home favorites, uh, they do a good job of covering the number. I think we're getting a little bit cheap here because of the fact that they struggled a little bit against Indiana last game. I'm going to be playing Illinois, and I'm going to be giving the points as well. Love to hear it. So a little bit more agreement where I didn't think we'd have it. I Well, actually, you did lean that way. Um, as well. So uh, the Fighting Illini uh, just look to be the side in this game for all the reasons we mentioned. Let's wrap up with a little Pac-12. I know it's more of a uh, college basket, college football thing, but a little Pac-12 after dark to close things up for us here on the pod. Um, Bill, you're going to start us uh, in Boulder, Colorado, where we have the Buffaloes of Colorado laying five at home against Arizona, total of 143. Uh, let's hear the handicap on Colorado. Yeah, Colorado's been a, a team for me, at least, that I see feel like they've kind of been similar to, like, Wisconsin in, in that respect of, like, it, they keep looking like they're going to make a, a big jump forward and then they, they'll take a loss they probably shouldn't have had. Um, but that being said, with their losses, they are 4-0 after – after a loss against the spread, five and two as home favorites. Uh, flip the script, Arizona, zero and one as road dogs. Grant a small sample size, um, and Colorado three and zero when they have a rest advantage, which they will have in this game. Um, to me, that just tells me that the coaching staff is really doing their due diligence when they have that extra time to prepare. And oddly enough, both of these teams have just squared off against Utah. So you know, speaking from a coach's standpoint. If you're getting to see a team literally play the team that you just played, you're going to be able to pull a lot of information from that game. And the fact that they're having this extra time off to do so is only going to make me like them uh, more in that spot. Colorado 4-0 uh, 
Uh, home games against teams with road winning percentages greater than 600 tells me they step up to the plate when these teams are coming in. Um, and Arizona obviously being one of those teams with the uh, winning percentage on the road being higher than 600. Um, and you go on the other side, and, and Arizona's been the exact opposite, 0-4 against the spread their last four games uh, versus a team with a winning percentage above 600. Uh, and that's obviously Colorado in this spot. I had mentioned they're both coming off the loss of the Utah. Colorado being 4-0 when they come off a loss. They're getting the extra time here. Um, and Arizona, as of late, they, they just don't look like the same Arizona team they did uh, earlier on in the season. Um, I, I, we've talked about it before. They're a team that you know has dealt with sanctions as of recent. Um, but you know, if you go back to the start of this this current year, January, if you throw away the first game against Washington State, you know they're only a uh, 500 team. You know they, they have losses to. USC to UCLA to Stanford and that Utah loss. Their only wins have come against Oregon State. They beat a, a very, very underachieving Arizona State team. They knocked them off twice, and they beat a really bad Cal team. So, I, I mean, there's no real good thing to say about Arizona as of late. Um, I like Colorado. I like I like them giving the points in the spot. Yeah, nothing strong for me here, but I do think your uh, your rationale is sound as far as Arizona stepping up and not necessarily performing up to par and not covering numbers against better teams because it's something that we've talked about all season with the sanctioned teams, Arizona, Auburn, whoever, that on a nightly basis, you're going to always wonder about these teams and their motivation. On, on some nights, they might go out with nothing to lose. Shots might be dropping and they might all of a sudden, you know, be playing freely and and looking great and on other nights they might just as easily pack it in and say you know a lot been going on with their program both Arizona and Auburn I know had a a good deal of turnover with the roster so it kind of makes you think that uh you know there's a good deal of variance and if they are a dog you don't want to hesitate to lay points against them uh so uh, you know I I haven't looked a ton of Colorado but um I definitely I'm not going to argue with the pick that's for sure um, let's wrap things up with a really fun rivalry game. Uh, this is the last game in the uh, rotation altogether, uh, second to last, excuse me, rotation number 777, the UCLA Bruins uh, making the short trip to uh, USC to take on their in-state rival, the Trojans. And uh, we're seeing USC being favored by about three, three and a half, total of 135. Um, and we're going to finish with another consensus play on the Trojans of SC. Obviously, this is something that Bill and I both have talked about ad nauseum throughout the season. Unranked teams favored over ranked teams. That's something, by the way, that has been profitable in both basketball and football. It's just a trend that you always kind of look for when you bet these games. And that's what we have here. The unranked Trojans are laying three at home against the Bruins. At least I got three. It does look like there's some soft three and a halfs out there. Uh, Ken Palm is telling us that we're getting the better team here. As uh, they, yep. they got SC at 17th in their overall rankings to 31st for UCLA. And um, you know, Bill, I want to go back by the way because I feel like we haven't, and I don't know if this is by design or what. I feel like we haven't handicapped a ton of Pac-12 games just in our pickums here at Pickem Pods, but yeah. like. Remember when we went through all the conferences, 
I feel like we weren't really talking about SC that much, right? It was UCLA with all the guys coming back, and it was, you know, uh, Stanford maybe with the, the big yeah. guy being a team that could maybe be a sleeper. And, uh, you know, Arizona State was a team that a lot of people were talking about before the season started. We weren't really talking about USC. And here are the Trojans, 9-1 and one straight up at home. Granted, still just 6-4 and four against the spread, but short line here. Um, and these are the top two teams in the Pac-12 standings. So mm-hmm. the other reason I really liked this spot, first meeting between these two teams this year, and I think obviously, now this is obviously true for UCLA circling UC- USC, but this has to be one that USC has circled on its calendar, especially the more they've been winning, right? Because, again, I'll be honest, and I pay attention to college basketball pretty closely. I mean, I'm not watching, you know, Stephen F. Austin play Texas West or Texas UTEP or whatever, but <laughs> I think you get my point. Like, when I caught these standings, I I myself opened my eyes a little bit. Obviously, it's a West Coast team. I'm not if, if you don't have any direct t- connection to any of the schools in the Pac-12, you might not be as aware of the fact that USC is having a really good season here. Mm-hmm. And Again, the preseason attention, rightfully so, I think, was more with UCLA, and the Bruins are having a decent season themselves. So it's not like you know, I, I'm you know, we talked about some of the blue bloods that the you know, you just don't want any piece of right now. UCLA is by no means that. I think they're a pretty solid team. But again, I think as the momentum has built up towards this game, I think it's just become more and more of a circle spot where they've just been you know, eyeing this game up for a while, USC that is, uh, to really make a statement to the, to the conference and to the Pac-12 and to just say, hey, you know, we are right there and we are the best team in this conference. And that's where I see this game going intangibly. Like, look at the last few games, too. Like, you would think maybe look ahead. They won against Stanford. They beat Oregon State. They beat Cal. So pretty focused team, too, right now. Um, I think UCLA, or excuse me, USC is definitely the side I will be on the Trojans. Yeah, again, I'm, you mentioned it's a consensus play for us. Uh, I'm on USC as well. You mentioned Ken Palm telling us we're getting the better team. They have USC ranked 17th, UCLA 31st. Um, definitely East Coast bias in this. The fact that USC is 14-3, and granted, it's not their fault they're in the Pac-12 and there's not that many good teams in the Pac-12. But they just kept rattling off win after win after win after win. Oh, they lost to a UConn team that's a bubble team. They lost to a Colorado team who I just handicapped as a strong team. And they had a hiccup against Oregon State. Outside of that, man, they've just always gotten the job done this year. Um, Like you said, this game being circled for them, UCLA is the only ranked team left on their schedule. So, you know, if they want to make a statement for getting a decent seed in the tournament, because I think at this point – Unless disaster hits and they, you know, run off four or five straight losses, they'll be in the tournament. Um, it's going to be just a matter of seeding for them. So this is a huge game for them. It being at home, I like the fact that they're there in the first first of the set. Um, and then when you look at their their efficiency ratings here, um, USC just kind of takes the the lead in in both sides of it. UCLA offensively, they're ranked 14th. However, USC defensively is 24th. When you go to the other side, USC is ranked 26th offensively, and UCLA is only 78th. So, you know, a big advantage there for USC. 
Um, and then my favorite stat, uh, talk about offensive rebounding percentage. USC is 36, or sorry, they're sixth in the country um, on that offensive glass. And you had mentioned how, like, we haven't talked about USC much. Uh, and I guess, arguably, the Pac-12 player of the year is going to be on their team. Um, and he's only a freshman. In, Evan in, Mobley, in, yeah, big time. Evan Mobley, back. yeah. I mean, yeah, he's been absolutely uh, phenomenal throughout the entire season. He's been just super, super consistent. I mean, he's – I can't see what is he averaging, 16, 16, and 9, and offensive rebounds a big part of it. In the last few games, he's had 4, 5, 5. He's had 2-1 against uh, some subpar teams there, but then 4 and 7. I mean, he's going to be all over the glass. UCLA doesn't have anybody that's going to be able to keep him off of it. Um, I like USC in this spot. I think Evan Mobley's going to have another big game in this one. Again, I think it's just a spot where we're getting a better team here, uh, even though the you know national rankings have UCLA ranked. You know, part of that is because they had them ranked so high preseason, and you know they really haven't lived up to the building that we all expected from them. And USC has done the exact opposite. They've just quietly been getting the job done, and I think they get a job done again here against the Bruins. Yeah, you know, I'm curious. You mentioned UCLA not living up to the billing, like. Did you think they were going to be like a national title contender or, you know, because I still think for the most part, like, I wouldn't call them a disappointment. No, I mean, you can't call a 13-3 team a disappointment, right? Um, I, I just don't know. I, I just feel like, I don't know, I guess I got a bitter taste in my mouth from the first game of the season. We were both on them oh, and they yeah. lost the same yeah, yeah, yeah. Um And again, it's, again, it's not their fault they're in the Pac-12, so you don't really have that many games where they can, like, show off nationally against some top-level teams, but the opportunities that they've had, they haven't risen to the occasion, right? I mean, San Diego State, San Diego yeah. State is not, they're not a terrible team, but they took that loss, and then you know, they had a chance against Ohio State, and they didn't get the job done there, and you know then they just lost at Stanford, created by one point to a decent Stanford team, but like they just haven't really impressed too, too much. You know, even in their wins, it's always been – you know, by a couple points here and there. And then when you look at their last game, my God, against Oregon State, they only put up 57 points. Sure. You know, yeah. like, it's not like the third, you know, even in that spot, you'd think that's a chance for them to just, like, pound the team and, and look good doing it. They beat Washington by five. They beat Arizona by five. Um, nothing super impressive. So, yeah, I think, I guess they haven't lived up to my own standards in my head. I didn't think a national... Uh, championship, they weren't going to be a contender for that, but I really thought that they were going to be a team that, I guess, selfishly, I could ride in the Pac-12 and then be really strong against the spread all year, and they haven't right. been that. So haven't quite been that either. Yeah, yeah. so I, I guess I'm just saying I'm curious where they end up in a month, but I, I do think that here, uh, for sure, uh, SC is, is a side to play. So, they're, hey, let's, let's be real. Uh, they're a 16 team, right? Like, that's probably their ceiling. Yeah, and you know what? And that's fine, right? Like, you know what? At the end of the day, you get to that Sweet 16. How many times have we seen, uh, you know, a region completely blow up? You just got to get to that second weekend, you know, and then the tournament can get wacky. Yeah, exactly. And I can't tell you, before we wrap up here tonight, I can't tell you how many people I've seen recently on Twitter and, you know, just in casual conversations talking about Baylor and Gonzaga. And, look, they are phenomenal. But if you're going to try and tell me, as we sit here on February 6th, that, that oh, it's Baylor, yeah, 
That's okay. I will take all of your bets if that's what you're going to tell me. Because we all know what happens in March. Everything you think's going to happen doesn't happen. So the fact that there are everybody saying, "Oh, it's Gonzaga and Baylor," and then whoever the other two teams are. Well, that and to Bill, get to the final one thing too to piggyback off this point a little bit, especially in college basketball, like. Obviously, it happened when UMBC beat Virginia. But you can see these mid-majors just shoot the lights out. And, and, and it's one game, you know, and, and in this, and, and that's all it takes to be out. So, you know, again, nothing against Baylor and Gonzaga, but, you know, the matchups sometimes tell all. And if there's a three-point shooting team lying in their region somewhere that can turn the lights off with all the shooting, then... Yeah, they could be in for some trouble. Yeah, and look, we just said it. They just almost lost the Pacific. No, I shouldn't say they almost lost. I mean, but they they were struggling for quite a stretch against Pacific. And, and again, you struggle with kids. Like, are they right. really just going to blow through everyone? You're talking about, like, historic teams that do that. Like, right. everybody was talking about that Kentucky team with uh, Cal in 15 because they were going for the perfect season, and they were just blowing everybody out. But remember – even before they lost to Wisconsin in the national semifinal, Notre Dame should have beat them in the regional right. final. You know, right. so you know, I just think at a certain point you are going to see these teams. I don't care who you are; it's the nature of college basketball face adversity. And listen, would I love? Would we love if? I'm not going to complain if that is the national championship. Sure, we were deprived of that game in the regular season, so we get it when the stakes are much higher. I get it, but you know. And also, remember, we're also going to have a weirder format this year. They're going to play every game in the NCAA tournament in Indianapolis. You know, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but it's different. And, and yeah. different teams are going to take that a different way as well. So Right, and Gonzaga does that. They struggle against Pacific. You struggle against a much better team, uh, you're not coming back from that. You know, the, you, know you struggle like that against a team like a Texas or a team like Villanova. Like, they're going to put you away. <laughs> you know, they're fortunate for them. Pacific wasn't that type of team, and they were able to, you know, right the ship there and get the job done. Um, but, yeah, against a higher-level team when it comes March, forget it. You can't have that kind of hiccup. Right. No, for sure. And that the thing is, Bill, like, it's something that I feel like at the high school and college levels, when you have these big favorites, right, if you're the dog – in these spots, if you're the team that nobody's expecting to win, if you can get through that first 10 minutes yep. and not be buried already, then you start to forget about the letters across the chest on the other side. And, yeah. you know, and it, they play and more, they play more loosely, time right? Time they're playing loose because they have nothing to lose. Again, like you just said, they're what a 15, 20 point dog. Like we have nothing to fear in this game. Like, Hey, we go out, we lose. We're supposed to lose. But when you, when you start getting closer to the end of that game and the score's still tight and you're the team that's favored by that much, all of a sudden you start to get tight because, you know, you're not supposed to lose this game. And what's going on here? And you don't know how to really face adversity. So, right. you know, I, hey, look, if I'm picking between those two teams, by the way, I'm, I'm picking Baylor every day because of how strong yeah, I am their too. conference is. You know, again, no offense to Gonzaga. They don't pick their conference. Um, but and they're getting they play that a good tested every game. Yeah, they did. They did. And, and kudos to them for having the balls to go up and, and schedule those games. But, I mean, Baylor's just tested almost every single night in, in their conference play. So they're the more battle-tested team come March. But, again, it's March, man. Anything can happen. The beauty of the tournament. Bill, let's enjoy a good Saturday at college basketball. 
Ending with the Conference of Champions, even though we're going against Bill Walton's Bruins. Yes, yes. Let's get the job done. Let's give out some winners like we did today. Hopefully everything comes through for us. And everybody cashes some tickets with us tomorrow. Enjoy your weekend, my man. I'm sure we'll talk soon. You too. Take care. There he is, Bill Christie. You know him as Lucha Larry at Larry's Locks 2 on Gambling Twitter. My name is Greg Frank at Undercover Greg. Follow both of us at those respective handles and shoot the podcast to follow as well at full underscore slate underscore pod. Super Bowl, college basketball. It'll be a fun weekend, and we hope we can just help you cash some tickets. And first of all, and first and foremost, I should say, of course, please play responsibly. Everybody, enjoy your weekend.